You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. Well, I'm moving on out, out of Florida, headed for Arizona, where we'll stay. Moving on out, out of Florida, to a place where it's okay to say gay. AZ didn't vote for the fascists, like Florida certainly did. I know things there won't be perfect. I'm really going to miss my kid. While we're driving cross country, there still are shows to be done. So I'm pulling interviews you may not have heard, and I hope you listen to everyone while we're moving on out. Out of Florida to Arizona where it's hot as hell. I'll take the sauna over the steam bath. To escape that Ron DeSantis fascist smell. Welcome to day nine of the Nicole Sandler Moving Marathon. Today, we reach back into the early days of the pandemic. It was March 11th, 2020. Not only was it COVID time, we were at the height of the 2020 presidential primaries. In fact, this show was on the day after the so-called Mini Tuesday primaries, after which Joe Biden appeared to have clinched the nomination and knocked Bernie Sanders out of the race. Needless to say, it wasn't a real happy day for me. So we went through, we dealt with some issues, (laughs) but we got past that news in time for Lawrence O'Donnell to call into the show after he and I had a little Twitter tiff. So here we go. March 11th, 2020. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. The Nicole Sandler Show. Questioning authority daily. And that could be the very reason why YouTube is upset. Hey YouTube, the music bed you hear beneath my voice is from a broadcast sound library that I paid for and have the receipts. So I've got your copyright violation right here. And now, here's Nicole. So it was a really, really disappointing night last night. Uh, Mini Tuesday, or sort of not so super Tuesday, was not everything we had hoped it would be. Bernie Sanders had a rough, rough night. The big win that we hoped would happen in Michigan not only didn't materialize, it was so far in the other direction. Bernie didn't win a single county in Michigan. And that was devastating. And I got to tell you, my emotions have gone from one end of the spectrum to the other. I have experienced every emotion and every feeling of what should happen next. And then some. And and I go round and round in circles. And my mind has changed probably a dozen times since last night when I watched in stunned silence. But what happened was... Bernie did speak today, and despite what many in the Democratic Party wanted, he didn't just roll over and say, okay, I know it's over. No, in fact, what he did was say, we're still going to debate on Sunday, 
And I've got a lot of questions that Joe Biden really needs to answer. We'll get to those in a moment. We will also, on today's program, speak with Lawrence O'Donnell. You might recall, it was about, I don't know, about two and a half weeks ago or so, that I got into a little Twitter tiff. It wasn't even an argument. It was a discussion on Twitter with Lawrence O'Donnell of MSNBC. And... um. Over the fact that, uh, you know, it started innocently enough when I just realized sort of out of the blue that I remembered Lawrence O'Donnell stating very clearly on the air that he was a socialist, that the word liberal didn't go far enough to describe him or progressive, that he was indeed a socialist. So um, I, I questioned him on it and he engaged with me and Contrary to the way I often behave on social media, I was, you know, I was cordial. I, I, I engaged him. I wasn't rude. I wasn't mean. I wasn't judgmental. Um, but I asked questions, and I realized he got sort of um, hunkered down in semantics to the point where I finally said, we're really not getting anywhere, and I invited him on the show to actually continue the discussion and have a discussion. And to my surprise, he said, absolutely, let's do it. And then the cynical me, cynical Sandler is my other name. Uh, anyway, he uh, um, that that was like eleven o'clock in the morning. He said, "Sure, let's do it." And then the rest of the day, I heard nothing, and I thought, "Oh, figures, you know what? He's ghosting me. I'm, I'll never hear from him again." And then I thought, "All right." He asked around the network, and Joy Reid told him, "Oh God, no! Don't go on her show." <laughs> um, so imagine my surprise when I woke up at two in the morning, as I'm wont to do every night. And check my email, which I know I shouldn't do when I wake up in the middle of the night, but I do anyway. And there was a message from his assistant saying, Lawrence asked me to uh, get in touch and schedule uh, an interview. And the day has come. It is today, Wednesday, March 11th. Lawrence O'Donnell will be with us, oh, in about 25 minutes or so. So um, he will call in. I offered to pre-tape. I offered to do it his convenience. He will be calling in to do it live, damn it. We'll do it live. And um, we'll have a conversation. He actually surprised me this morning because, look, as you know, I am kind of not really enamored with MSNBC these days. See, I'm trying out my being nice. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, because the network as a whole is obviously doing the bidding of their corporate owners, Comcast, who are not um, down with the burn, if you, you know catch my drift. And, uh, you know, it seems that there is some sort of either written or unwritten law over at MSNBC. And this is mere speculation on my part. I have no proof of anything. But just as a a viewer, what the way I've noticed the various hosts and pundits on their air over the, the course of the last few months have been so negative on Bernie Sanders that I have to wonder if there is indeed a policy saying that we will, um, you know, we are all in for Biden and we do not want Bernie Sanders. Uh, we know that what happened four years ago, Ed Schultz, uh, before when he was ousted from the network, made it very clear that he was told, you are not to cover Bernie Sanders. And when he did, he blamed that as a at least a prime reason for his firing. Cenk Uger, uh, the same thing, yeah, made it said it was very clear that he was not allowed um, to not only cover Sanders, but certainly couldn't cover him in a positive light. So I was surprised this morning to see a, a tweet from Lawrence O'Donnell basically pushing back on suggestions that Bernie should drop out. So I look forward to having a really good discussion with Lawrence O'Donnell today. I didn't invite him here to pick a fight with him. I really invited him here to talk about socialism versus democratic socialism versus um, a free press and free speech when you're owned by a giant corporation that has its own corporate agenda. And Bernie Sanders. And Joe Biden. We'll talk about a lot of things today. All right. Before we get into any of the rest of it, you know, I like to start the show with something funny. I honestly have not been doing a lot of laughing in the last week or so or longer. Um, so, uh, you know, we try. We try around here to 
encourage the laughter with a bit of the funny to start the show. And for today, once again, we'll turn to Stephen Colbert. We won't do a, a cold open, but Stephen's take on the mini Tuesday primary day yesterday. Tonight, six states held their primaries, including one of the areas hardest hit by the virus, Washington state. Luckily, all of their voting is done by mail. But there was some worry that the mail-in votes themselves could be a source of contagion. So the state just introduced this actual new slogan about their ballot envelopes. Whether healthy or sick, please don't lick. (laughs) Yeah, it's better than the last election when they were battling an STD outbreak with the slogan, please don't slurp if you've got herp. Okay. That, that's, that's actually true all the time. That's great that's advice. Sound yeah. wisdom, yeah. Jeremiah. Yeah, you don't... Woo-hoo. That's not all the big election news. I'll catch you up on the latest in tonight's edition of... I beat Trump. Corn Pop was a bad dude. <laughs> bing, bing, bong, bong. Yuri Road to the White House 2020. The showdown to find a place to sit down. The gloves are off. The dentures are in. Two old men enter, one lead. <laughs> that was a long road to hoe. Go, it's Fury Road. Okay. All right, get to it already. I hope they're okay. I hope they're okay. The Democratic primary is down to Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. And as of today, projections at 538.com say that Joe Biden's chances of winning the nomination are 99 out of 100. Betrayed by the 99%. <laughs> what next? Et tu, Metamucil? <laughs> Old men need fiber. But Joe seems intent on bringing down his own odds. Today, while campaigning at an auto plant in Detroit, he was confronted by a pro-gun voter, and he didn't handle it all that well. And you are actively trying to diminish our Second Amendment right and take away our guns. You're for- yeah, he said you're full of shit, is what he said. Wow. Wow, Joe, what happened to malarkey? Come on. The last thing we need is another president. We have to bleep. The Biden tried to explain himself to the voter, and it almost led to fisticuffs. I support the Second Amendment. I'm not taking your gun away at all. You need 100 rounds? So when you were in Beto, no. when you said you are going to take over guns, that I did what? not say that. That's yeah. not true. I did it's not say that. It's a viral video. Well, it's a viral video like the other ones they're putting out that are simply a lie. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Yeah. Take the AR, your AR-14s. AR-14? Okay. What? All right. Hey, let's you want to tell me anything about go outside There's a lot of guys. Wow. He is threatening to fight a voter. Yes, he We is. haven't seen this kind of rough-and-tumble campaign since William Henry Harrison's Tippecanoe and Nut Punch 2. <laughs> or since Biden last week Ta-ka! threatened a, a, a voter. Biden's team is aware that the only thing that can stop Joe Biden now is Joe Biden, so they have a bold new strategy, shorter speeches. Yeah. In fact, we have a preview of his new stump speech. Barack Obama. Oh, that was it. (laughs) That's the stump speech. Thank you. Yes. All right. All right, so so that was it. That's that, that's Joe Biden's new stump speech. Then again, the stump speeches planned last night for uh, Cleveland were both canceled. Bernie, of course, canceled first, and then Joe Biden followed suit. I know. Look, I know. I'm being a little catty right now. Um, ah, what can I tell you? I I'm a little bitter. I I I am bummed out. I am, um, I am upset. But here's what I came away from last night realizing. Look, we we came out of Iowa realizing that caucuses are undemocratic and should be done away with, right? And so they did. They did in, I'm sorry, Nevada. We realized that caucuses are undemocratic and should be done away with, right? So many states no longer have caucuses. Now what we need to get rid of is the entire primary calendar, What we really should go to is perhaps, and I'm just throwing this out there, a national month-long primary vote-by-mail, period. I'm really tired of letting a few states decide who our nominee will be. This whole thing turned on South Carolina, 
South Carolina, really? A state that will not, in November, go for the Democrats, right? South Carolina will be a state that goes for Donald Trump because it goes for the Republican. For whatever reason, I don't understand it, but it does. Uh, South Carolina will not go for the Democrat, who in this case looks more and more like it's going to be Joe Biden, as much as it pains me to say that, because I don't think Joe Biden can beat Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump will eviscerate Biden in a debate, but that's not what we're talking about right now. Let's examine what states voted so far, right? We start with Iowa, then New Hampshire, then Nevada, then South Carolina. Those four, really? And after those four, we were sure that we knew. I mean, after Nevada, everyone was like, oh, my God, it's going to be Bernie Sanders. What are we ever going to do? And so Jim Clyburn steps in and says, I know we'll endorse Joe Biden. I'll do it with so much heart. I'll invoke my dead wife and I'll talk about how he stood with black people. You know, forget about the Anita Hill thing. Never mind. We won't go there. And, you know, I'll, I'll guilt my fellow African-Americans into thinking Joe Biden's one of us after all. He was a white man who was subservient to the black, first black president for eight years. So, you know, he'll listen to us. I know I'm oversimplifying it. Give me a day. I'm, I'm a little bitter. Just bear with me. But the point remains the same. Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina. So after the first three, everyone was like, oh, holy shit, it's going to be Bernie Sanders. What are we going to do? And so everyone freaks out. Oh, my God, we need to coalesce around one of us. I guess it should be it should be Joe Biden. Why? I don't know. Maybe they flipped a coin. I don't know why Joe Biden and not Elizabeth Warren. Oh, because she's a woman. And, you know, a woman can't win. God forbid. Why Joe Biden and not, uh, well, everybody else dropped out. Well, you know, Mayo Pete and uh, Amy Klobuchar dropped out the day before Super Tuesday. Who does that? To quote Amy Klobuchar, who does that? I don't know. I'm just wondering if they were maybe talked to. I have no proof, but it just sounds like it was the someone in the Democratic Party establishment who said, look, if we don't combined forces, it's going to be Bernie Sanders and we can't let, oh my God, everybody get access to health care. <laughs> oh no, we can't have a president who actually cares about the regular working person at the expense of big corporations. Hell no. Yeah. So anyway, so this all happened after those first four states. And we thought that Cooler minds would prevail, that young people would come out. They go to Bernie's rallies. Shit, Bernie had two rallies in Ann Arbor and another college town in Michigan over the last few days where tens of thousands of people showed up. They're showing up for the rallies. They're just not showing up to vote. Hey, young people, what the fuck is wrong with you? This is your future. I'll be dead in not too long. And frankly, the, the, the way things are going, I, I hope it's sooner rather than later. Because I don't like this world anymore. Really don't. Um, And I don't claim any of the blame for getting us where we are. I spent most of my life as a rock and roll disc jockey. I just tried to have fun. So so I'm blameless in this argument. Uh, But that said, I really, I, I held out a lot of hope for last night and a lot of hope for Michigan. And those hopes were dashed. So I really think that what we need to do is is get rid of our whole electoral process is broken. It is foobar. It is fucked up beyond all repair. Our primary system is ridiculous. The, the way we have Iowa and New Hampshire, the first two in the nation, followed by Nevada and South Carolina, what who fucking came up with that idea? And then, all right, so then it was uh, Super Tuesday, Alabama, Arkansas. California finally moved up in the process. They got smart and said, our votes have never counted. We're going to make ourselves part of the conversation this year. Good for them. Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, and American Samoa. And then you um, fast forward a week. And then last night we got to Idaho, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, and Washington State. And If the party elders had their way, Bernie would have walked up to the microphone today and said, yeah, you know what? I don't see a 
a path to the nomination. We're going to all pack it in and we're going to get behind uh, Joe. But that's not what he did. What he said was, you know, there's another election coming up on Tuesday. And on Tuesday, you know who goes to the polls? Arizona, Florida, Illinois, and Ohio. And guess what? Bernie's not going to do great in those races. Here in Florida, don't ask, but the Cubans are batshit fucking crazy. And the polls are really bad for Bernie because, oh my God, he said Fidel Castro enacted a reading program to help wipe out illiteracy because that's just such a horrible thing to say. What Castro's dead. Get over it. But you know who's uh, who also is on the ballot next Tuesday in Illinois? Marie Newman is primarying Dan Lipinski, quite possibly the worst so-called Democrat in the U.S. House of Representatives. And although the DCCC and the establishment Democrats are still behind him for whatever reason, because he's a very reliable Republican vote with a D next to his name, Marie Newman's the real deal. She's fucking awesome. And so Bernie being on the ballot will help Marie Newman, will help those down ticket progressives. We have progressives on the ballot in Arizona and in Ohio and Illinois and well, Florida, not so much. But, you know, so Bernie's going to stay in and he's going to ask Joe Biden questions. What kind of questions is he going to ask? Bernie, what are you going to ask Joe Biden? On Sunday, I very much look forward to the debate in Arizona with my friend Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And let me be very frank as to the questions that I will be asking Joe. Joe, what are you going to do for the 500,000 people who go bankrupt in our country because of medically related debt? Good question. And what are you going to do for the working people of this country and small business people who are paying on average 20% of their incomes for health care. Joe, what are you going to do to end the absurdity of the United States of America being the only major country on earth where health care is not a human right? Are you really going to veto a Medicare for all bill if it is passed in Congress? Joe, how are you going to respond to the scientists who tell us we have seven or eight years remaining to transform our energy system before irreparable harm takes place to this planet because of the ravages of climate change. Yep. Joe, at a time when most young people need a higher education to make it into the middle class, what are you going to do to make sure that all of our people can go to college or trade school regardless of their income And what are you going to do about the millions of people who are struggling with outrageous levels of student debt? Good questions. Joe, at a time when we have more people in jail than communist China, a nation four times our size, what are you going to do to end mass incarceration and a racist criminal justice system? Mm -hmm. And what are you going to do to end the terror? that millions of undocumented people experience right now because of our broken and inhumane immigration system. Hello. Joe, what are you going to do about the fact that we have the highest rate of childhood poverty of almost any major country on earth and are living with the fact that 500,000 people tonight are homeless uh-huh. and 18 million families are spending half of their income to put a roof over their heads? Good questions all. Joe? Importantly, what are you going to do to end the absurdity of billionaires buying elections (laughs) and the three wealthiest people in America owning more wealth than the bottom half of our people? So I hope Bernie Sanders gets to ask Joe Biden these questions. You know, they changed the format of the debate uh, in a number of ways. One, to disallow Tulsi Gabbard from participating, even though she earned two delegates in American Samoa, go figure. And two, so that poor Joe doesn't have to stand behind the podium for two hours, they're going to be seated. And forget about those pesky questions from the actual moderators. No, instead, they're getting pre-cleared questions. I guess pre-cleared by the campaigns. That's not a debate. That's a bullshit, not even interview, where they get the questions ahead of time. 
I don't know. I, I, I hope there's some freewheeling back and forth where they can each get to ask the other questions. I know Joe Biden wants to ask Bernie Sanders, how are you going to pay for this? And it's quite easy if Joe would just listen to what Bernie says. If we don't have to pay those exorbitant premiums and co-pays and deductibles, that money gets repurposed by way of taxes so that our, our premiums, as it were, are covered. And so it doesn't come out of our pocket. It's all baked into the system. But Joe Biden doesn't want to listen to that. Instead, he'd rather just use his talking points. Anyway, there's uh, there's more news. And uh, you know what? Let's get to some of it while we... I read the news today. Oh, Sorry. While we wait for Lawrence O'Donnell to call in. Um, so anyway, uh, b- before the polls closed yesterday, Sanders' campaign, as I mentioned earlier, canceled a rally planned for Cleveland over coronavirus concerns. The Biden camp soon followed. Biden briefly spoke from an event last night in Philadelphia. Sanders returned home to Vermont where he made a statement today. I just shared some of that with you. The two will meet. As Bernie told us, he did not pull out of the race, despite um, calls from uh, corporate media. Hello. If you watched either CNN or MSNBC this morning as I flipped through both channels, to them it was all over but the dancing. I I can only imagine how they'll be freaking out tomorrow. How could Bernie do this? Actually, I think Bernie did the responsible thing because, oh, this is what I started to do before. Who still hasn't voted? Okay. Well, good question. So after this coming Tuesday with Arizona, Florida, Illinois, and Ohio, then you have Puerto Rico. Then you have Alaska, Hawaii, Louisiana, and what is WYC? I don't know what that is. W. Wyoming. We've got, uh, I think, uh, I I think we have, um, we've got a call coming in. Hi, is this Lawrence? Yes, it is. Hi. Hey, Lawrence O'Donnell. It's Nicole Sandler. We, we are live on the air. As I, I explained to your assistant, I, I, I do a commando here. I work without a producer. So we, we are live on the air. And I, I got to thank you so much um, for joining us. We, we met on Twitter a few weeks ago, and uh, you were kind enough to engage with me in questions about socialism, and and I suggested, uh, you know, sometimes conversations on Twitter aren't very constructive, and I invited you on the show, and you agreed, and here we are. So I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm really, really glad to be able to do it, and uh, socialism in particular is a difficult subject to be <laughs> thorough about in the Twitter limitation, that's for sure. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So the, the way this conversation started was, I, I, have it, I have it unfolded right here on my desktop, and it was February 25th, so it was, it was two and a half weeks ago or so. And I tweeted out, don't I recall Lawrence proudly proclaiming on the air, I am a socialist. And then because I tend to look, I think social media does this and I'm not making excuses. I can be a horrible bitch on Twitter. I think it's something about the 280 characters and 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 the um, uh, the 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 platform. And again, I'm not making uh, excuses. It's it's a horrible thing. And I let it get the best of me sometimes because then I wrote what happened. Was he ordered to tow the Comcast line to be anti Bernie, too? And, and I let my frustration get the best of me, Lawrence, because frankly, and I'm sure you've heard it from other people, the, 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 the overriding sentiment on MSNBC lately seems to be very anti-Bernie Sanders. Um, and so I, 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 I pushed it off on you when I was trying to ask you a question about socialism. And so and that's where I want to start today, if that's all right. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So you did. You, you... And, by, and by the way, I understand... All of that, and I uh, and I, I get how all of the feelings flow on Twitter, and uh, I've practiced uh, ignoring a lot of those feelings. And but but at the same time, trying to stay alert enough to pay attention to the expression of one of those feelings uh, from someone I respect. And so that's and so that's where I will engage. Uh, when I, you know when I started on Twitter, which is now about nine years ago. Mm. Um, I was highly amused by by right wingers who really hate me, and I really kind of wanted to engage with them. And I was advised not to because it it just encourages and gets them more more followers uh, and mm. stuff. But so I, I've never I've never really done that a tiny bit. Uh, but but my engagement with you is is the kind of 
you know, I, I sensed there was a zone of disagreement there or that was worthy of discussion. Well, you know? thank you. I, I, I appreciate you seeing through my snarkiness and bitchiness, which, you know, sometimes uh, overtakes my better judgment. So um, I appreciate that. But you did. I mean, I do remember years ago you proclaiming yeah. on the air that you were a socialist. And in fact, I went back and I, and I pulled a couple of clips and I found one in which you were you were um, sort of debating Glenn Green. Greenwald. And here's it's a quick 17 second clip. And here's what you said. Hi, Glenn. Unlike you, I am not a progressive. I am not a liberal who's so afraid of the word that I had to change my name to progressive. I'm not either. Liberals amuse me. I am a socialist. I live to the extreme left, (laughs) the extreme left of you mere liberals. Okay. Wow. So those are some pretty, pretty tough words, Lawrence. So what do you mean when you say you're a socialist and you live to the extreme left of we mere liberals and progressives? Well, I'm I'm glad there was laughter in that (laughs) Morning Joe panel because I was playing for the comic effect of it, although I do mean it. And I did certainly spend, um, you know, pretty much every day from my uh, first uh, economics course in college, whereupon I discovered that I was a socialist. Um, It it was a very lonely rest of the decade uh, with that knowledge (laughs) and, and and watching you know, Michael Dukakis in 88 say mm-hmm. he's not a liberal uh, because he had to say those words, he believed, you know, in order to be elected. Um, and then watching the word, watching Democrats fear the word liberal so badly yeah. that they literally changed the name. Right. Now, granted, it harkens back to a predecessor of the second half of the 20th century version of liberal. So there's a legitimate linkage to it, but let's not misunderstand that the word liberal itself had become a a poison uh, as far as Democrats themselves were concerned after Republicans turned the word into a poison. Right. And, uh, you know, and so so that's so I was amused at at liberals running uh, in terror away from that word and thinking they had found safety in the word progressive and uh, and that that did amuse me disappoint me all sorts of feelings um, and so that that part of it is true I mean the content of what I said is absolutely true um, and so look when you when you're in your first economics course in college in the 1970s and you you come across uh, Samuelson's treatment of uh, socialism in the textbook, and then you have the discussion. You realize, well, geez, all these all these market interventions they're talking about are things that I really like. What does that make me? And and then you know, as you proceed, um, you you are then uh, it's then revealed to you that there is, of course, no such thing as a socialist country, you know, anymore. Although there was then, you know, Cuba still was a purely socialist country. Um, North Korea is presumably, um, and uh, outside of some black markets, I suppose that they might have. But that all the rest of the world is a mixed economy. What economists, with no emotion whatsoever, call a mixed economy, and the mix they're referring to, as we all know, is a mix of capitalism and a mix of socialism. And Norway twists the dials slightly differently from the way we do, but it's really only slightly differently. It's not a difference in the nature of things in, in say, Sweden versus New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's just a difference of degree, you know, and, and we have more socialism than some other countries, but most most of the uh, advanced world certainly has more socialism than we do, and they're doing very well with it. And so, so the truth of it is, uh, as Elizabeth Warren, I think, personifies in a way, um, given that we live in a mixed economy, given that we all in our lives personally embrace aspects of the mixed economy, which is to say we embrace and use aspects of capitalism, we embrace and use aspects of socialism, we all have the choice of saying we're socialists or saying we're capitalists or saying we are socialists and capitalists. 
Uh, and I chose the one that everyone ignored, right? I chose the one that everyone claimed not to be. You know, uh, I wanted to choose the underrepresented side of the discussion when I started publicly in the 1990s on the McLaughlin group mm -hmm. saying that I'm a socialist. And the first time I ever had to say it publicly was they, they used to do some sort of print brochure for that show, the McLaughlin group. And they and they one of the things they wanted you to fill out in the questionnaire of your bio was um, your your political label, literally label, you know, and so Eleanor Clift would say liberal and Pat Buchanan would say conservative. And, you know, and I looked at that and I went, I'm not any of those things. And, uh, and so I put down European socialists and, and conservatives ever since then thought they had found the Holy grail of proving, you know, that I should be deported. And, uh, <laughs> uh and of course, John, John McLaughlin and Pat Buchanan, who both worked, uh, you know, for Nixon and, uh, and loved Reagan thought two things about it. They were hugely amused by it. They also thought it was deadly accurate and, and they had no problem, you know, with, with that identification. Um, but anyway, long winded version of, of how we got to my, uh, my embrace of it. And, uh, and parenthetically, my long admiration for Bernie Sanders, a much braver embrace of it because I never said I'm a socialist and then ran for office in the United <laughs> right. States of America. Right. I never thought you could do that. Now, now, let me back up for just a moment, and we'll, we'll get to that. Lawrence O'Donnell is our guest, and not only is he the host of The Last Word on MSNBC weeknights at 10 p.m. Eastern, but uh, your your whole career, your your basic, you are a Renaissance man. You you've had a career that included being an actor, a producer, a TV writer, most notably for the brilliant series The West Wing. You were a Senate staffer working with Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan and a staff director of the Senate Finance Committee. So your career has spanned um, pretty much the whole gamut. Uh, you've been in in uh, the private sector. You've been in entertainment. You've been in in government and in media. And um, right now you have a very visible perch on the network, the cable network that's supposed to be the the more I, I don't want to say it's, you know, the, the Democrats answer to Fox, because it's certainly not that um, maybe it used to be. But now, I you know what the way I look at MSNBC these days is as sort of the home for the never Trumper. It has become the. Uh, the the respite, if you will, for the disaffected Republicans from Bill Kristol to Jennifer Rubin to Nicole Wallace to uh, to to David Jolly to Carlos Corbello. I mean, it, it goes on and on and on. I, I, I even did a thing where I enlisted some listeners to do an audit to show how many never Trumpers permeated the airwaves over there. And it seems like there's been a almost a a, a, a concerted effort to make this Democratic primary the the candidate of choice for those never-Trumpers, the people who, sorry, screwed up the Republican Party so badly that now they're coming to do the same thing to the Democratic Party as a partisan. This is, you know, where my mind goes and where my frustration comes in. And so when I hear you talking so, you know, kindly about Bernie Sanders and his policies, and I know you believe it, I, you're a socialist, Lawrence O'Donnell, I, I don't understand why all the carrying water against Bernie Sanders. I don't even want to say for Joe Biden or anyone else. It just seems like, my God, there's been this effort working against Bernie on on the airwaves at MSNBC. Well, uh, you know, I, uh, I've been in television in a lot of, I've been in television in a lot of different venues. Uh, and so one thing I never, I've never tried to do is, and I, is tell someone in the audience that they're wrong about what they think they're seeing. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. if somebody saw an episode that I wrote for the West Wing and hated it, I would I would listen to that, and I wouldn't argue. I I just I know I had a different intent, and that's what she got from it. And okay, I can't I don't control that. Once once it once it's in the TV box and it's sent out there, it's all up to you, totally up to you. So. I'm, I'm not going to in any way contest anything that you just said. I will do this. I, I will give you a frame in which I think people should look at television, especially commercial television. And, and that is to say, it, not every minute of commercial television should be weighed equally. You have to understand that Rachel Maddow, who does not fit the description of anything that you just offered, right? Mm -hmm. Rachel Maddow has... 
a gigantic audience mm-hmm. on MSNBC. Mm-hmm. It is more than triple uh, everything that happens on Morning Joe, for example. Wow. It is quadruple the audience that happens during the day at 2 o'clock or 10 a.m. or you know, any of that stuff. And the giant audience of MSNBC all occurs in that world that we call primetime, which sure. is true of every single network. And primetime is only three hours. And basically for networks, the way they make their money is they put a bunch of filler to get them up to prime time. That's what they do. And I mean, I'm saying CBS does it during the day. That's what soap operas are. That's what game shows are. I hear you. They don't care about that. I come from radio. As I tell people, it was always... So you know what I mean. So they they don't really make their money They make all their money in prime time. And for a typical network, prime time finances 90% of what the the network does. Mm -hmm. So that's Chris Hayes, Rachel Maddow, and And me, and no one else. Right. That's prime time. Okay. And so when you look at what this network has said about itself in prime time and what its choice is in prime time, there's not one person hosting those shows that fits what you were just describing. And so, uh, but I'm not saying, I, I don't want to take away the validity of your observation of what this TV means to you when you see it. I, I don't mean to say that at all, but if you see somebody at three o'clock, you know, who, who you hate, on MSNBC, or you think it said something profoundly stupid, understand that one-tenth of the people who will see Rachel Maddow saying the smartest thing you've heard on TV all day, one-tenth of the people will see that three o'clock thing. Ten times more people will see what happens uh, in prime time. So, you know, I I, I, I get what you're saying, and, um, you know, I, I could talk more about my own experience, for example, in the 1990s, working in the Senate and working with Republicans and what it means when someone who was your opponent legislatively yesterday uh, on the tax bill becomes your ally on a Medicaid provision the next day and how you treat that. And, you know, my professional experience with that in legislating is you treat it with great welcome and you, you, you don't hold anything against anybody. But, um, you know, pretty much, by the way, Nicole, for everything you say to me, I can go on for like 20 minutes at a time. So I'm, sure I'm trying <laughs> to abridge my answers enough so it. that you, you cover the ground you want to. I appreciate it. You know, I, I so it sounds like you support Bernie Sanders and Lawrence. I got to give you so much credit because this morning, as I was thinking in in my deep depression, that maybe it is time based on what happened last night for Bernie to drop out as much as I hate it because I just I went on a whole rant a few minutes ago about that I think we need to revamp our entire primary system because I think it's insane that most of the country has not weighed in yet and it's crazy that you know Iowa and uh, New Hampshire and South Carolina and Nevada get to determine who our nominee is um I think the the entire country should be involved I think we should maybe have a month long um, uh, across the board national primary mail-in uh, primary race where everybody gets to vote and everybody has a say. I hate this system. But that said, that with the goal being get Donald Trump the hell out of office, maybe it is time to consolidate. Um, a lot of people this morning were calling for Bernie to drop out. I didn't do that. But you pushed back on that idea. And I really appreciate it because, frankly, I turned on MSNBC this morning and I turned on CNN and that was all I heard. It's time for him to get out. You were you're singing a different song. Yeah, you know, that show that I used to do in the 90s, the McLaughlin Group, is, was the original poison. No one we didn't quite realize it at the time because it was sort of entertaining and SNL made fun of it all the time. It was a, like a, a goofy thing to watch, you know, but. John, at the end of the show, John McLaughlin had this round that he simply turned to every member of the panel and just said, predictions. And suddenly, Eleanor Clift had to predict something that was going to happen. And Pat Buchanan had to predict something that was going to happen. And, you know, that's like asking historians to predict things. They're not good at it. And so the prediction fever has completely overtaken this field and it has to be resisted and I have to resist it in myself and I, and I hate it. And so 
the reason today everybody wants to jump on, you know, Bernie should get out is that what they're doing is they're jumping forward, right? They want to go ahead of where the story is at this minute, you know, especially at like 11 a.m. this morning uh-huh. when you haven't heard a word from Bernie yet. Right. You know, just just shut up and wait for <laughs> Bernie and see what he says. You know, for all you know, he might say he's not running, that he's, his cardiologist told him to stop to whatever. I don't care. But but wait for him to talk and just cover this in the present tense. And so that's where all that comes from, is this fever to be the first to say what's going to happen next right. and all that stuff. But my feeling about this is, is a multi-level of feelings about it. Um, I do think there are times when a candidate staying in a race can be harmful to no point. And my classic example of that Uh, was John Edwards when he stayed in against Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. And it became very clear, and I I wrote this on Huffington Post at the time, and then I I, I said it, uh, I I got in, the MSNBC audience at the time didn't really like that I said this, but I said John Edwards should get out because he's just blocking Barack Obama from a straight up contest with Hillary Clinton. That's all he was doing. Edwards did eventually get out. Um, But uh, that's a rare circumstance. That, that's a pretty rare circumstance. The more common circumstances where we are now, which is this one, this one person, there's one person left or there's two people left in the campaign. And at a certain point, one of them is going to stop campaigning. Mm-hmm. And once you're down to two, I firmly believe it is entirely up to that person, to each one of them, to decide when they're getting out. And oh, by the way, both Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden have been here before, both of them have ended unsuccessful presidential campaigns. They knew when to do it, they knew why to do it, they knew how to do it, they both did it in exactly the right form. Uh, I'm a big champion of the way Bernie ended his campaign last time uh, and the way he went all the way to June mm-hmm. uh, and, be, and for a lot of reasons that still pertain today. And And I don't know what happens down the road, but if Bernie Sanders is going to end his campaign again, what he's right about uh, that he said today, uh, indisputably, is that he has this incredible grip on the youth vote in this Democratic primary schedule. Incredible grip. And I was a youth voter. I remember voting for uh, George McGovern. I remember mm. having my heart broken uh, in, in those days, right? And and uh, And you need to keep the youth voter as a voter and say this 24-year-old voter is going to grow up to be a 34-year-old voter. I want you to handle that voter very, 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 very carefully when they're facing disappointment in an election for the first time in their lives or the second time in their lives. And I want that ramp to be as slow down as possible. And oh, by the way, there's another very important strategic thing about this. Joe Biden is not ready to be standing alone on the presidential (laughs) campaign stage against Donald Trump. Barack Obama was not ready to be standing alone on the presidential stage in 2008. Hillary Clinton uh, did the right thing. And oh, by the way, it would have been right the other way around. It would have been right for Obama to keep Hillary Clinton accompanied in effect on that stage. I mean, one of the things I, you know, James Carville said this, that keeps saying this thing about, you know, you got to concentrate on November. Well, no kidding. Every single primary voter is concentrating on November and Bernie voters, Bernie voters believe that Bernie is the best way to win in November. Absolutely. Um, And Biden voters, voters believe the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so they're concentrating on it in exactly the same way. That, you know, the Boston Red Sox are concentrating on the World Series in spring training. <laughs> yes, yes, they are. Okay, but Lawrence, i got to ask you, you brought him up. James Carville, really? CNN got smart and dumped him. He is, he is irrelevant. <laughs> he comes on, he's a raving lunatic, and he totally badmouths Bernie Sanders on your air. Doesn't that piss you off? Not I mean, too, wait, 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 wait. It's not mine. Okay, uh, he hasn't put on my show. Okay. The only air that I control is the one that I make. Gotcha. But yeah, let's. But yes, on MSNBC. Yeah, oh. yeah. I mean that. I that I will defend uh, happily. So look, 
everybody has their own responsibility as viewers, right? So you watch that, you think he's wrong. I don't watch it. I turn, I turn the channel when I mean, he comes you, on. You, you, to I, be okay, honest, you, you also think he's crazy, but you definitely think he's wrong, right? Yeah. I also think he's wrong, but I don't mind hearing it, especially since I have a forum in which I can say I think he's wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and, and make the opposite case, uh, you know, as I'm, I will tonight. Um, so. I think he absolutely has earned a place in this discussion as a professional in a presidential campaign that was successful or, or even unsuccessful. I've never worked in a presidential campaign. So James absolutely belongs in it. And, I, you know, I had an amazing experience with him and Steve Schmidt on election night 2016 when we were – I was at one anchor desk by myself with those two guys, mm-hmm. and it was separated from everybody else. So we had our own little room, and they would cut to us every hour for, I don't know, five minutes of time. In the meantime, James is on the phone to people in Broward County who he knows, and Steve Schmidt, Republican uh, presidential campaign veteran, is texting people that he knows in South Carolina. And those two guys knew before anyone that Donald Trump was going to win. And James, frankly, and this part, you know, this was never televised, you know, because it's when we're off camera, but James is on the phone talking to somebody in South Carolina, or I think North Carolina, who says X. And James hangs up the phone and says to Steve Schmidt, if Hillary's losing there, then that means she's going to lose Wisconsin. And he, you know, like he knew this county in North Carolina tells him what's going to happen in Wisconsin. So I wish people could have seen that because that is the most brilliant version of both of those guys as campaign, uh, you know, experts that I've ever seen. And I get that. Because it was like right in the boiler room of it. I get that. But let me give you the, the, the vantage point of a viewer who's a political junkie who does a daily talk mm-hmm. show, right? Who, yeah. uh, who, right? And, and I see Steve Schmidt, the guy responsible for giving us Sarah Palin, who has gone mm-hmm. to as an expert on who we should, who the Democrats should elect. I'm sorry. He's the oh, guy yeah. who no. gave us Sarah fucking uh, Palin. Sorry, I'm online. No, I, 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 can I, curse. I, I, I agree with you about that, but not, I don't see, I just, the Sarah Palin thing, I just put out of my mind. Um, I, I do. And I don't because, it's one of those things. I have people I I know, for example, who are just about stark raving mad, who I've known all my life, uh-huh. who just like 99% of the time what they say is crazy. And then then one out of 100 times they say a very smart thing. And I and it drives me nuts because I can't completely ignore them. I'm not saying that about Steve at all. I think Steve says a lot of smart things. However, I have not taken any guidance at any moment from any of the former Republicans about who the Democrats should nominate or how they should nominate or how they should run their campaign. I, I get how much Republican, you know, kind of old Republican wishful thinking they have in the way they look at the way the Democratic Party does things and the way liberals do things. And so I just, you know, I just throw it away. I just, I, I listen to, the, in, in the next, you know, sequence, that, that same person might say something very smart that I like. And so, you know, I I get the feeling. I understand that feeling of wanting to throw stuff at the TV, and I just <laughs> I I guess I'm just more patient, you know. And I just kind of listen to the thing I disagree with, and then I hear a thing I agree with, and then I you know I don't I also have my personal likes and dislikes, you know. Like I really just don't like X, so mm-hmm. I don't really care what he says. I'm a, I'm human like that right. too, yeah, right? and I just don't care what right. they say ever. And I right. I want them to be stupid and wrong, you know, and and. So I have that too. And that's part of the spectatorism of TV. You know, you do get to hate what's on your TV. You get to hate watch. You know, there are TV dramas that I hate watch because of some of the people involved in it who I know. Or otherwise, there are TV comedies that I hate watch. There is, you know, so I get that whole thing. And um, I I take this stuff, um, I just live at more of a distance from this communication, I suppose, that's on cable news right but but you you live there i mean that that's your yeah yeah what i mean is what i mean is it doesn't affect me it's not like you're telling me you know my my child is stupid you know it's like it's not right it's not a thing that's close to me and also i have no i don't have a lot of high regard for cable news i mean if you know to that great (laughs) philosophical question of the 21st century where would we be if 20 if cable news had never been invented. Better off, Don't probably, ask me. Right? Don't ask me to make the case that uh, oh, it would be terrible if it, right, if no. the thing didn't exist. I can't. I, I don't know how right. to mount the society's better off, you know, because of cable news argument. I don't know how to do that. And, and I get that you're not Phil Griffin and you don't call the shots there. But I do wonder who who. 
overseas or if there is a quota for instance, for the, you know, the never Trumpers versus the, the actual like Democrats and and, and the cap, de- the Nero Tandon kind of Democrats versus real progressives. The real progressives, I would say, as a viewer, are sorely underrepresented. And maybe that's because I am a progressive uh, bordering on socialists. And I, I you know, I want to hear my views represented. And more and more when I turn on that channel, I'm seeing the never Trumper viewpoint overwhelmingly represented. And so I'm wondering, do you get to decide who the guests are on your show, Lawrence, or is that dictated to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I do. Rachel does. Um, I assume Chris Hayes does. I've never discussed it, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he does. Um, I, I'm not sure that's true through the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And also, by the way, trying to book stuff during the day is much harder. Uh-huh. You know, uh, it's, it, it's just harder. And uh, so booking is a, its own little weird thing, you know, that, that is a lot of it has to do with who, literally, literally who's available. I right. mean, you know, so, you know, there'll be nights when you see, I don't know, you know, maybe no women on my show. You know, mm-hmm. we are aware of that if that happens. And it's because we ran into just some booking brick walls and, and it and for the especially for the particular subjects, you know, like for this particular subject, you know, we couldn't find anybody available tonight and all that stuff. So uh, you know, you can you can overthink. I think your point is well taken, and it, and I, I get it. Uh, but ev- but every once in a while, it's really just the oddity of the of the booking. I hear you. Well, I'll throw this out there. Um, I'm I'm in Broward County, Florida. Since you brought it up, that's where I grew up down yes. here. Lived in Los Angeles for many years. Did radio in L.A. during my heyday. Uh, was on Air America with Rachel. Filled in for her many times. Uh, And then Mm -hmm. when Air America went off the air 10 years ago this past January, I moved my show online and I've been doing it here ever since. So, you know, I'm relegated to online because the, the, the progressive voices have been, you know, been been just taken off the the public airwaves they don't exist anymore so if you ever need a progressive female voice uh, have skype will travel i'm here i'm always available happy to join you anytime lawrence um and happy to air to add a progressive um air to your program if, if you ever need it just, uh, just offering uh, where you're, you're you're officially on the list i've just <laughs> awesome. handwritten you onto awesome. the list here and lisa graves <laughs> is one of my favorite people in the world so we have that. In I, I have never met uh, her. Yes, you have. She's been on your show many times. Lisa Graves from uh, former. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what I thought? I, I thought you said Lisa. Pay. I thought you said I another name. Yeah, Lisa, she's great. She's she is awesome. fantastic. And, and you know how that happened? That was I've done this a few times. Uh, Mika Oyang and others uh-huh. where I just say, you know, they're, they're coming up with the usual suspects for mm-hmm. booking. You know, and I go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There has to be a former Senate Judiciary Committee That's staffer, right. you know, like me, like a, I'm a former Finance Committee staffer. Right. I'm not the only one. You know, the trouble is with most of them, they're lobbyists, yeah. right? And right. I don't want right. lobbyists, right? right. So you, you want to get people who are associated with a, an academic institution or something like that, you know, or just have nothing to do with lobbying. And so most of those former staffers become lobbyists. But uh, it, it drove me nuts. And I said, come on, there has to be uh, former Intelligence Committee staffers. And they they went to work and they found Mika Oyang, who I didn't know, mm. put her on the air that night, you know, and, and now she's on the payroll, you yeah, know, and, right. um, and, you know, Lisa Graves is one of those people where I said, come on, you got to find so me. She's so smart for, and you know, so good. Ron Klain cannot be the only former <laughs> right. Senate Judiciary Committee Right. Staffer, and you know what? You know, Lisa's a progressive. There. So she's got that going for her, too. And she's just yeah, she super is. smart. So yeah. I appreciate you having her on. So those are the voices I want to hear amplified more and more. Lawrence O'Donnell, I've held you longer than I was supposed to. I so, so appreciate your time today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. And I thank you so much for for being willing to engage with me. I can't thank you enough. Uh, I really enjoyed it and happy to do it again uh, whenever schedules allow. Thank you. And and we have something else in common. We're both Scorpios. I'm November 4th. You're November 7th. So we got something I don't have a birthday. I don't have a birthday, Nicole. <laughs> I just do not. I don't. Okay. You know, like when, at, I didn't say anything about we years. At, when, when we were at West Wing, one of the things that happens on those kinds of shows and other TV series I've been on is whenever anyone has a birthday, 
a birthday cake comes into the writer's room, okay, mm-hmm. and or down to the down to the set or wherever it is. So whenever I was working on those shows, they would just ask you your birthday, you know, at the beginning of a season. And I always lied and I always said it was June seventh because oh, they're, they're always in hi- <laughs> they're in hiatus in June, right? And so right. there was never a birthday cake, uh, and there has never been a birthday cake brought into any workplace, or it's never been acknowledged in any workplace oh, how I've funny. ever been in. Oh, I don't have birthdays because that would mean I'm aging, right? Right. I can't have well, I didn't. I didn't mention a year. I just said the month and the day. <laughs> so we're November babies, which is you know we're tough, we're strong, we're passionate, we're we're opinionated, we're 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 sometimes feisty, and so you know it explains a lot of things. Anyway, Lawrence O'Donnell, it has been a real pleasure. I I, I so enjoyed this half hour. So thank you so much. Thank you, Nicole, very much. Thank you. You take care. Okay. Bye bye. Um, wow, that that was wonderful. How uh, I, I'm pleasantly surprised. Now, did I get every answer I wanted? No. Did I expect him to answer every question? No. Do I think he's a lot more progressive than he lets on on the air? Probably. Do I think he feels constrained by the constraints by NBC and Comcast? Fuck yeah. So it was what it was. I think he's a Bernie Sanders supporter. Shit, I meant to ask him why um, Bernie's not been on his show. And I know the answer. Apparently, they've invited Bernie, and Bernie just hasn't agreed to do his show. I know how it is. I, look, I'm grateful that Bernie's done my show at least, you know, probably a dozen times over the many years. Not so often since he ran for president, but many times before. So I know. Then again, I don't have the, the audience that MSNBC does. Anyway, thank you for listening. See, I can be nice, right? Pat myself on the back. I feel good about that. A slice of history there. March 11th, 2020 with Lawrence O'Donnell and the problems with our election process. Tomorrow, as I continue my move from Florida to Arizona, we'll dip back a bit further into the Nicole Sandler Show archives. Ten years ago, almost exactly to the day, for a conversation with Dr. Helen Caldicott. If you don't know who she is, you should. She's president of Physicians for Social Responsibility, one of many titles she holds. She is one of the world's foremost anti-nuclear activists. In 2013, we were just two years past the Fukushima disaster. So until tomorrow, I'm Nicole Sandler from Somewhere Between Homes. Thanks for listening.